Our sermon series for this month is the heart of worship. The heart of worship. It's the core of what worship is. Worship has always been part of the Christian life. Uh, you can't be a Christian and not, and, 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 and not worship God. It's, it's like the air that we breathe. You hold your breath long enough, you're going to pass out and you're going to expire. And if, and if as a Christian, if, if we're not worshiping, if we're not praising God, if we're not seeking God and giving him our all, we're not going to make it. Worship is, is important. It's important that God receive worship. It's important that he receive the praise and honor and the glory from his people for what he's done. But it's also important that we give it to him, that we acknowledge our Savior, that we acknowledge what God has done, uh, that we come to a place uh, where we surrender and we give him everything that is due his name. Worship is an act that is both spiritual as well as physical. Bible says that we're to love the Lord with all our heart, uh, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. Worship tonight, uh, it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. I know we, we like to sing sometimes these songs uh, about how God uh, will leave the 99 to come after us, uh, how he'll cross oceans to come and find us, uh, and praise God because those are just reminders as why it is so important that we worship God, that we take the attention off of ourselves, the attention off of what's going on in our lives, and we put the attention on God where it belongs, that he is faithful and he is worthy of all our praise and honor. Bible says we need to decrease so that he can increase. And this month, uh, we're going to be touching on the different uh, uh, aspects of worship, the heart of worship. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, an example of worship uh, that was given to us probably by one of the least likely of individuals found in the Bible. The Bible describes her as a sinful, immoral woman, and she isn't even named in the Bible. And yet Jesus... Uh, he openly received the worship that he received from her. And he points to her as an example of what worship looks like and what it means to truly worship. I've entitled this message tonight, When the Humble Worship. The story I was talking about just now and we're going to cover tonight and, and the rest of this month uh, is found in the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I'm going to kind of bounce around with this whole uh, story. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 44 through 46. And then it says, he turned towards the women and he said to Simon. Now, just to kind of give you um, a little context, uh, Simon is a Pharisee and he had a dinner party and he invited Jesus over. Jesus was there and I'm sure there was other men there. I'm sure the disciples were there. And, and uh, while they're having dinner, this woman comes in and she begins to come at the feet of Jesus and begins to weep at the feet of Jesus and kiss his feet and clean her feet with her hair. And she anoints him with uh, this expensive perfume. And in verse 44, Jesus, he turns to, towards the woman. He says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever 
has been forgiven, little loves little. Bible describes this woman as sinful, immoral. Commentators and Bible scholars, uh, they tend to agree that this woman was uh, uh, possibly a prostitute uh, or, or, or even a, an adulteress. Whatever her lifestyle was, she definitely had a reputation that preceded her. She definitely had a reputation that was attached with her name. Uh, people knew who she was. They knew what she was about. Uh, they knew the, the sinful lifestyle that she was living. And I'm sure that when she walked into that uh, dinner party, uh, she raised a few eyebrows. I'm sure that when uh, she came in, uh, there was probably an, a gasp in the, in, the, in the room, like, who invited her to this party here? You ever walk into a uh, crowded room and you're one of the last ones, maybe it's a meeting or it's a party or, or it's something going on and, and you walk in and everybody kind of turns around and looks at you, right? And kind of embarrassed a little bit. Uh, I know when we get invited to different parties, my wife and I will get to the door and we'll kind of both stand there. We're like, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. And why? It's because as soon as you walk in, right, all eyes are on you, and it gets a little embarrassing sometimes, right? You imagine this woman where she's, um, she's knowing that people know who she is, and she's still walking into this room, and all eyes all of a sudden are gazing on her. All eyes uh, are looking right at her, and I'm sure it was humbling. Because she came to this party uh, uh, unexpectedly, and, and she came uninvited. She wasn't invited to this dinner, but she knew Jesus was there that night. She knew Jesus was going to be there, and she knew that she needed to be where Jesus was going to be, whether she was invited or not. She was going to be where Jesus was at. I can imagine that that atmosphere just all of a sudden changed, that steady flow of background noise and things going on, and all of a sudden you could probably hear just a pin drop. When um, my kids were younger, they were both still teenagers, uh, we, were, uh, we took a little vacation, and uh, we were in this city where uh, really you had to kind of walk everywhere. You really couldn't drive, and we wanted to go to this deli, and um, it was already getting kind of dark, and, and it, the weather was kind of like this. It was kind of cold. It was wet, and my family had gone on, and I kind of lagged it behind. I was distracted by the city, what was going on. And, and I seen my family go into the deli, but I didn't see my son go into the deli. And so I was a little nervous because I, I didn't see him go in. And, and I walked into that deli, and I saw my wife and my daughter. They were at the counter. You know, it was a deli. It was loud. You could hear the pots clanging. You could hear the cooks uh, yelling out the orders. And I didn't see my son. And, and I went, where's Rocky? And I just at the top of my lungs, I yelled out, where's Rocky? And all of a sudden, the whole diner just completely silent. And everybody stared at me, and I could see my wife, and she was, uh, she was a little upset that night. But just imagine, I'm, I'm painting that picture where all of a sudden there's, a, there's just silence. You can feel the tension. You can hear a pin drop, and there's this woman. I'm sure she was embarrassed. I'm sure she might have even felt a little humiliated. But she humbled herself to be where Jesus was at. She humbled herself to see Jesus. And the heart of worship is going to require humility. The heart of worship requires humility. 
Humility can be defined as freedom from pride and arrogance, a modest or lowly view of one's own importance. Uh, humility is the ability to view yourself accurately as an individual with talents as well as flaws, while being void of arrogance and low self-esteem. I like what someone said. They said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's that understanding of who you are in the light of God's grace, uh, that um, you are valuable to God. Yes, uh, you're the apple of God's eye. Uh, God has done so much and sacrificed uh, his only son uh, for you, and, but you understand uh, that you're flawed, and you understand at the same time uh, that it's the grace of God by which you're able to do what you do for him. Not that you beat yourself up and, oh, I'm, I'm worthless and I'm not worthy. Uh, and, and, you know, why does anybody, why would God love me? God loves you because he created you. God loves you because he shed per precious blood for you. God loves you because you are his child. Don't let the devil lie to you. Worship is a time where we make Jesus a king of our hearts and, and Lord of our lives. We give him the praise that he deserves uh, because he kept us from receiving what we deserve, amen? Because of the grace that he's shown us, the, the grace that has been over our lives, uh, over our family. So we're able to come into his presence uh, and worship him. The grace that is over our lives, it makes us unashamed to worship him. The grace that we've been given, the mercy that we've been given should make us unashamed to love him, to worship him, to publicly declare that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is Savior. I was at work this past week, uh, and, and one of my coworkers, uh, he's in a different department. I had seen him, and all of a sudden he was in a wheelchair. And I said, what, what happened? I was asking him his story. He said he had uh, cancer. He had a tumor. It, was, it wasn't cancerous, but it had been growing, and it had dislocated his bladder. And so until he got his surgery... He had to be in this wheelchair, and I said, oh, man, you know, I didn't know that, you know. And um, I said, you know, I, I said, it's your lunch. I understand. I want to chat with you, and we kind of went to the back office because I wanted to pray with him, and there was a little divider between where his office was and, and the front desk where the, student, uh, the students were and the student workers. And, and I started talking to him, and I said, I know you're a man of faith, uh, and I want to believe with you for your healing. I want to believe with you for that surgery. And so we started praying. And I tell you what, this gentleman was not afraid to worship, man. He was not afraid to praise. It didn't matter if there were students in the front or there were student workers in the front. It didn't matter that people could kind of listen in on what was going on. I just heard him say, praise Jesus. Uh, thank you, God. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, that you would send someone this way. He was unashamed of what Jesus was doing in his life. Unashamed to thank God in that moment for the healing that we were both believing Jesus for. Pride, though, pride would rob us of that. What pride does is it wants to honor itself. It wants to preserve itself. What pride would say is, look at me, I did this. I built this. The Bible says that pride, it puffs one up, uh, that it makes one big-headed, 
and that uh, pride will come before a fall. Pride also keeps people from doing what is right and what is required. Pride would say, not me. I'm too good for that. I'm too dignified for that. I've been here a long time. Uh, I, I'm not going to make a spectacle of myself. I'm not going to embarrass myself. Pride would, would rob an individual from them uh, allowing themselves to just fully give themselves over to worship. Simon had that attitude in this story. Simon had the attitude of, uh, that uh, there were certain things that he was unwilling to do for Jesus. Uh, you know, we, he was unwilling to wash his feet uh, as it was customary. He was unwilling to kiss Jesus on the cheek as it was customary. He was unwilling to do these simple little acts uh, that were customary in that time and age. He held back. He said, I'm too dignified for that. I'm a Pharisee that's beneath me to do that, to be able to have to wash at someone's feet. And we got to be careful, church, that we don't allow that pride and we don't allow that attitude uh, that Simon had to creep into our lives where we get to a place where we can tone down our worship, where we don't have to be as vocal, where we don't have to be as um, humble. I've been here years. I don't need to make an altar call. I can do that right here, right here in my seat. And, and praise God, there's nothing wrong with making an altar call at your seat. But sometimes it's at the altar where you need to be because it's at the altar where Jesus wants to meet you. It's at the altar where he wants to get a hold of you. It's at the altar where he wants to speak into you. It's at the altar where the man of God can come and lay his hand on you and give you that which you need. That which the Spirit uh, uh, is, is searching with inside of you. And it's at the altar where we humble ourselves. Lord, here I am. We saw this scenario between a husband and a wife. King David and his wife, Michael. The ark of the Lord was away. And it was coming back to the city of Jerusalem, and, and David was excited about the ark coming back because he understood that the ark is where the presence of God was. Wherever the ark was, the presence of God was there. And as this ark is coming back into the city of David, uh, David goes and he prepares himself and he begins to worship God and he begins to, to publicly worship and dance and pray before the Lord. In 2 Samuel 6, 14 to 22, he says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Uh, and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts uh, and the sound of trumpets. Uh, it was no secret. It was a big deal that the, that the ark of the Lord was coming to town. People were worshiping, they were singing, they were dancing, they were playing instruments. Uh, and as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Here we see where, if you read on, you kind of are witness to this argument, to this fight, uh, that this husband and wife are having because uh, one had no problem making a fool of himself for the Lord. 
honoring God, uh, worshiping God, uh, loving God, uh, just out there leading his people in worship. Uh, and the other one was looking at him and saying, who do you think you are? You're the king and you're out here wearing this uh, and you're making a public spectacle of yourself and you're making a fool of yourself. Uh, it's, you're, uh, it's, you're acting undignified. David, understanding what all God had done in his life, uh, he says, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God. And I don't care if I look undignified. And I don't care if I look ridiculous. And I don't care if I look silly. I know what God has done in my life. Uh, I know the battles that God has brought me through. I know the giants that, that God has slayed. Uh, and so I'm going to worship the most high God. She wasn't blessed by his behavior. She was embarrassed by it. And so sometimes when we worship, not everybody might be blessed by the way we worship. Not everybody might be blessed by the way we express our love for God. But it doesn't matter. It's what God's thinking. It's that God would be blessed by your worship. It's that God would be honored by the worship that you give him. The woman that we are studying this month, uh, she had the same heart and the same attitude as, as King David had. And that attitude was, again, humility. David's humility, it stemmed from his relationship with God. We, we know his story that even as a child, as a young man, as a teenager, he had a relationship with God. He had a, seen God move within his life. Uh, he had seen how God protected him and gave him victory over the bear and over the lion and then over the giant and then over armies. And this woman... Her humility, it came from her having experienced uh, uh, the forgiveness of her sins. Her sins were, were washed by the blood of Jesus, were cleansed, were, were forgiven by Jesus. And being forgiven will humble you. You've ever done something to someone and you've caused pain or you've caused hurt or, or you know you've wronged someone and, and, and there's man, nothing you can do about it except, I'm sorry, please forgive me. When that forgiveness is extended to you, it humbles you. It makes you appreciate uh, that this person, no matter how bad they were wronged, is extending that forgiveness. And when we experience the forgiveness of our sins, when we experience the forgiveness that God has given us through his son Jesus, it humbles us. It humbles us because we know who we were. We know what we've done. We know what we used to think and talk and, and how we lived. And now God calls us beloved. God calls us his child. God calls us the apple of his eye. And we were once his enemies. We were once cursing God. We were once shaking our fists at God. And God says, I love you with an everlasting love. That's humbling. And that's where this woman was at in her life. She was humbled. She was humbled because her sin debt was paid. We used to sing that song, right? I owed a debt. I could not pay. He paid a debt. He did not owe. We were, it's, that's humbling. That's humbling. And that's what worship does, is it humbles the heart. Psalms 95, verses 6 and 7. 
Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. When the act of, of bowing down and kneeling, that's an act of humility. That's an act of surrender. That's, a, that's an act of saying, you are greater than I. You are mightier than I. I am surrendering myself to you. I am bowing down and I am worshiping at your feet. And he says in verse 7, For we are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. And your Bibles underline that word, listen. Listen. It takes humility to listen. Takes humility to receive instruction. Takes humility to receive direction. Takes humility, husbands, when your wife is, is trying to give you some encouragement, some advice, some, some godly counsel. Takes humility when your leader or when your pastor is trying to give you some direction. Is trying to help you, not hurt you. Trying to help you succeed and grow and continue to excel in the things of God. I know this is for me. Pastor Ruben in prayer told me, man, you need to listen. <laughs> and he didn't know what I was preaching about. So often, I think, when we come before God, we want to just give him our, our, our prayer requests. Lord, I, I need you to do this in my life. Lord, I, I need this. I need you to provide here. I need you to heal there. And, and, and it's fine. We're, we're supposed to bring those needs. We're supposed to bring those cares before the Lord. We're supposed to bring it to him. There's times, though, we just have to sit and listen. Listen to what he has to say. Listen to what the Spirit says. Listen to what the Word of God is, is ministering to you your devotion, your prayer time, or whether we're here on a Sunday or Wednesday uh, service. Psalms 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We used to sing that song too, right? Bless his holy name. Man. The, our hearts is the core of who we are. It's the core of who we are. And here David is saying that everything that is within me, bless you, God. Let me hold nothing back. Uh, let me hold nothing back in my worship. Let me hold nothing back in my service. Let me hold nothing back in my love and my honor to you. Because when we hold back, uh, when we hold back, uh, what we're saying is, God, you can have this in my life. And thank you for the blessings here. But I want to protect this right here, God. I don't want this to be touched just yet, God. And God is saying, I need all of it. I need all of it. God, I've been hurt. God, I've been burned. God, I've, it's painful. And it's interesting because we want to fight God and we resist God and we don't want to surrender our whole heart, but yet we surrendered our whole lives to those things that caused so much damage in our lives. The drugs or the alcohol, the addictions, whatever it might have been, we used to give ourselves wholeheartedly to that and then we want to pull back when it comes to giving ourselves wholeheartedly to God. The Spirit of God searches us. The Spirit of God searches us, and he, 
brings to the surface those things in our lives that are hindering us, that junk, that garbage. And he's saying, we got to get rid of this. we got to get rid of this. And that's why I need your whole heart, because I need that piece in there that you're refusing to let go. And once we come to that place where I don't want this, God, it's yours. Remove this from me. I confess it. I repent of it, whatever it might be. Oh, that's when you begin to experience the move of God, man. That's when you begin to, to actually have that weight, uh, that burden lifted up off of your shoulders where you can experience that freedom and that joy and that peace. Uh, there's nothing like having a good relationship, a, a right relationship with Jesus, man. It's so liberating. You don't have to, it's just taste and see that the Lord is good, Right? You got to taste it for yourself. You got to experience for yourself. We can't come to Christ with guarded hearts. Luke chapter 7, verse 38 now. It says, The sinful woman stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Here's this picture of this woman. She's weeping at the feet of Jesus. Crying in public is humbling, right? Nobody looks distinguished doing it. Nobody looks good doing it. It's, it's, it's humbling when there's tears in public. And we're, you know, we're taught don't cry in public, right? We're taught hold back those tears. We're taught don't express emotion. Some of us. I'm a softie. My wife would tell you I'm the first one to be bawling. Get it together, you know? But it's something about when you're in the presence of God worshiping and, and those tears begin to form, let them go. Let them go, man. Let them go. Let those tears bring healing. Let those tears bring cleansing. There's a, a, a study done by Harvard Medical School on tears. And they're saying there's, there's three types of tears. The, the first... Uh, two tears are reflex and continuous tears. And this is what the eye produces, that lubrication, that when you get something in your eye, whether it's dust or, or sand or wind or whatever, that the eye will begin to lubricate its, itself because it's flushing out the, whatever debris or, or that, that gets in the eye, it flushes itself out. It's getting rid of that that doesn't belong there. But the third type of tear is uh, the emotional tear. And what they were saying, what they found is that when pe people are crying tears uh, of emotion, right, when there's something going, off, going on in their lives, whether it's uh, dealing with grief uh, or just uh, being overwhelmed with emotion, uh, uh, what's, what's taking place is that literally what's being flushed out of your body through, the, through those tears are um, uh, st stressors, stressors, things that cause stress, They say that after um, a good cry, that the body, what it does, it uh, begins to release these natural endorphins into your, um, into your body. You feel like liberated. You feel like this weight has been lifted up off your shoulders. And here's this woman. You think about it. Everything that she was carrying, and she's at the feet of Jesus, and she can't hold back. 
and she's weeping and she's crying. And I was thinking about uh, that all those tears, uh, enough tears to wash his feet. Not his foot, his feet. His feet that had been walking and all that dirt and all that dust and, and all that mud and whoever, whatever he was walking on, all those tears that were coming out of this woman to be able to wash his feet clean. All those emotions that were pent up inside her, all the abuse, uh, all the pain, all the hopelessness, all the suffering, all the junk that had been put into her life all of these years, all of a sudden just came rushing out uh, at the feet of Jesus. Why do we hold back? Why do we hold back these things? Why do we hold back uh, that, those pains and, and those uh, feelings when Jesus is saying, just let it go? Give it to me right now. Why are you carrying this? See, there were other people that night in the company of Jesus. But this one woman was the only one that had an experience with him. This one woman is the only one that left that party that night, uh, based on what I'm reading, delivered, healed, forgiven. Don't let pride tonight stop you from experiencing that. Don't let pride tonight be a hindrance to your worship. Don't let pride tonight stop you from receiving the love, the, the healing, the forgiveness that Jesus wants to give you. That night, pride was working in the heart of Simon the Pharisee. He invited Jesus into his house. He invited Jesus to come have dinner with him. But he failed to recognize who was at the table with him that night. He failed to recognize the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was sitting and having dinner with him that night. Don't fail to recognize when Jesus is at your table, when, when, when the Lord is sitting, uh, when he's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, if you let me in, I'll come have dinner with you. I'll come and sup with you. Simon, he was witness to all that was taking place. Uh, he was witness to the deliverance that occurred in this woman's life. Uh, and rather than rejoicing, he was upset. He was angry. He was angry that Jesus would give her an audience. See, that act of worship done by this woman, it revealed who Simon was. It exposed what was in his heart. It also exposed what was in this woman's heart, and that was is that this woman was determined to worship Jesus no matter what was said about her, no matter what was gossiped about her, no matter what judgments were made about her, she was willing to go in and worship Jesus, her Savior. We need to worship despite criticism, church. No matter what people might say, no matter what people might think, we need to worship without or despite the criticism. Luke 7, 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. In Simon's eyes, Jesus was disqualified as a uh, 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 disqualified from being a prophet man because he was looking and he was saying how could jesus receive worship from this woman this sinner i'm a pharisee i'm the religious uh, i'm the one that is supposed to have the relationship with god how can he receive worship from her i think what simon failed to realize is that worship is an intimate act we can't judge what's going on in a person's life man when they're worshiping when they're 
there in the presence of God, when they're worshiping God, we, we don't know what kind of healing is taking place within that person's life. Man. Used to be a gospel singer I used to listen to. Her name was Albertina Walker. And she had this song that, uh, and I, I, I love this song, and the name of the song is called, You Don't Know What the Lord Has Done For Me. And it's a very simple song, and the lyrics basically say, you don't know what the Lord has done for me. You don't know how the Lord has set me free. You don't know you weren't there. You don't know when. You don't know where. You really don't know what the Lord has done for me. Amen? And I just, that is, to me, because, let me tell you why that song resonates with me. Because I know who I was before Jesus found me. I know the things that I was a part of. I know what Jesus truly has done in my life. And you know what God has done in your life. You know what God has brought you from. You know the healing that he's given you. You know the miracle that he has done in your life. No one but you and God truly know what he has done in your life. That where you were, he didn't leave you there. And he's brought you so far. And he's done so much in your life. And that's where this woman was at. Simon, you don't know you weren't there. Disciples, you don't know you weren't there. Only Jesus and I know what he was doing in my life right here, right now. Jesus knew exactly who that woman was. He knew everything about her. He knew her secrets. He knew everything, and yet he still worshiped her. And yet, or excuse me, and yet he still allowed her to worship him. And yet he still healed her. And he still treated her as a child of God. In chapter 7, verse 44, he turns to the woman. And he's looking at the woman, but he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? All Simon saw was a sinner. All Simon saw was an immoral woman. He didn't see the value in her. He didn't see what Jesus saw in her. He didn't see what God saw in her. All he saw was someone that was beneath him. But I tell you what, man, God saw her. And he saw her heart. And he saw that she was ready, ready to change. And, she, and he saw that she was ready to leave behind that lifestyle. And she saw that she had an immense love for him in spite of everything that had gone on in her life there. We need to be able to see others the way God sees others. We need to be able to see one another as God sees us. The heart of worship does require humility. In 1 John 4.19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. The New Living Translation says we love each other because he loved us first. And there's something about what happens to a person, a believer, that when their heart is touched by God, when they humbly come before God and receive his forgiveness, receive his salvation, that they can love others, that they can see others as well, and they can see past whatever it is they might be involved in. And they can see them as a son or as a daughter of God. If I can have our worship team come up tonight. 
couple weeks ago, um, uh, Pastor Richard mentioned a revival going on at Asbury University. And uh, it's been about a week now that uh, the formal closing of the, the Asbury revival. And to recap what that was, in case you didn't know, Asbury University is a Christian university located in Wilmore, Kentucky. And on February 8th, uh, they had a chapel service in the morning, as they do every Wednesday. Uh, the dean went up, and he said some words. And, and after the dean spoke, uh, a young man went up, and he gave his testimony. And, and the chapel service was pretty much over. It, was, um, it had concluded, but something was taking place. There was a spirit in the air. The students didn't want to leave. They didn't want to leave that, that, that chapel, that physical chapel. The band stayed, and they played some more songs, and they began to worship some more, and nobody went to class. Everyone stayed. What happened was um, the chapel service was supposed to end at 11 a.m., and at 11 p.m., 12 hours later, the president of the university gets a phone call, and they said, hey, just so you know, they're still having chapel. They're still in there worshiping. They're still in there praising God. They're still in there uh, having a service. And so for two weeks straight, 24 hours around the clock, what took place was a pattern of worship. It was a pattern of uh, prayer, repentance, testimonies. Worship, prayer, repentance, testimonies. For 24 hours, seven days a week for two weeks. And uh, revival was moving within this, within these young people. It was college-age people. So I remember reading about it in, in one of these news feeds that I had. And, and there was no, you know, mainstream ministry spearheading this. It was, it was student-led. And so I was watching different videos. And some of the videos, you could see that they were worshiping and songs like we sing and you could see that they were given testimony and there was uh, one instance where a demon was cast out of someone that was there and then i started seeing these videos that kind of bugged me a little bit it, people were saying is this really a revival um this is emotionalism it's being manipulated there's no gospel message being preached there they were saying all of these different things to try to discredit what was taking place. As if college-age young adults would just get together and begin to worship God and, oh, no, that couldn't be God, right? I'm being facetious, sarcastic. Of course it was God. But what bugged me the most, I think, was that these criticisms, these, this questioning, this casting doubt on that movement it wasn't coming from the secular. It wasn't coming from the non-believers. It was coming from Christians. Christians were making videos, questioning if this was an authentic move of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, man, you'll judge something, you'll know something by its fruit. When people are repenting, when people are getting demons cast out of them, when people are being healed, when people are saying, I want to serve Jesus, I tell you what, it doesn't take rocket science or some theological degree to know it's a move of the Holy Spirit that's taking place. And the reason that they had to stop those services was because the city literally got shut down. 
the infrastructure couldn't support the thousands of people that were filling the auditorium on a nightly, on a daily basis. And I thought to myself, man, wouldn't it be awesome to shut down the city of Norwalk because there's church going on at New Harvest? Wouldn't it be awesome to just all of a sudden, hey, Norwalk is on the news, not for something bad, but for something good, because the spirit of God, revival is taking place in the house of God, man. And you know what it's going to take? It's going to take having a heart of worship. Because they were interviewing someone and they says, you know what? This revival, the seeds of this revival were planted years ago by mothers and fathers, pastors and deans, uh, leaders uh, that were on their knees worshiping God, praising God and praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I believe, church, that if we're going to see that, we need to have our prayer central filled Friday night. We need to have our prayer rooms filled uh, 6 o'clock on a Wednesday, 9 o'clock on a Sunday, 8 o'clock on a Thursday. God is good, and he's going to do something this month. Uh, he's going to do something in our lives. He's going to challenge us. And about two months ago in December, we had a whole sermon series based on this last scripture I'll share. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We got to give God praise tonight. Let's just worship them. Let's just take a moment to thank them. Uh, Lord, we thank you, God. We praise you tonight in this place, God. Lord, we love you, Lord, for all that you're doing. God. We thank you for revival, Lord. Praise you, hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord, we praise you. Praise you, Father, hallelujah. And I'll pour in, oh God. And I'll pour in tonight in this place, my God. God, Lord, let us break through uh, religious mindsets this month. Uh, let us get to the heart of worship uh, this month, God. Let us be able to touch your heart tonight, oh God. Uh, move in this place, God. Let souls come to the saving knowledge of your son Jesus in this place tonight, God. Uh, Lord, let us draw closer to you uh, that you would draw closer to us tonight in this place, God. An outpouring, God. A fresh outpouring, oh God. Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. To